0: On, on us more than ever has before. And it makes it hard for those, if we, just human beings as a whole, to look for any kind of thing that would be called peace of mind. Its search at times is frantic for some people. Sometimes when they're doing so, they find it self-defeating or they even destruct within themselves because they cannot find that elusive thing called peace of mind. We find that people try to drown their sorrows as it were and their problems through liquor and drugs. We found that many people have found that to be an easy escape for a moment in time. They're out of reality and it feels wonderful and good. They don't have to deal with those things. Others tried to find a way of achieving peace of mind or getting through this hectic world by you know, spending more time on their job, you know, or spending many hours there, hoping that will cause them to forget what's going on on the outside. Others find the way of doing a lot of recreational things, constantly playing ball of some kind. Or another. Other activities such as that engage their mind in to keep themselves away from what's going on in the world around us. Others, as you know, and you've probably worked with some who tried to hide the elusive peace of mind within themselves. Those hectic times, they try to just sort of swallow it and take attitude, I can take care of it myself. And I'll fight this battle on my own and I can achieve it because I'm that kind of person and I'm capable of doing so. We used to say years ago that nearly every major city in the country either had a social worker or a psychiatrist or psychologist. Today, Small town America has social workers, psychiatrists, and psychologists. When you think about small town America, what most people tend to think the bedrock of our country, to realize that they are now having to have these kind of people. We're living within the community and practicing because this is what's wrong with people today in that respect. But peace is available. We know that Christ in the upper room, as He was trying to settle His apostles down, because they knew the dying was near, they knew whatever was going to happen wouldn't far away, and He had to calm them during that upper time. And as we look at what John says in John fourteen, fifteen, and 16, we get an idea of what was going on in that upper room. He reminded them there, He says, Peace I leave with you. And he simply goes on to remind me: It's a peace the world doesn't understand, but it is a peace which you will understand, and those that believe in the word, my word, that you preach, them will understand what it means by having this great, wonderful peace. In Matthew six thirty-four, in the Sermon on the Mount, he reminds in verse thirty-four: Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own trouble. Sufficient for a day is its own trouble. What did he tell us? We only have the present to live in. Matter of fact, the service started, was it 20 minutes ago? That's past. We can't go back and start over again. We can, but it's not going to be the same. We can't relive it over and over again. It's all real with. We're living right now for the moment. So it says don't worry about tomorrow. We need to learn to live in the right now. We need to learn to live in the present. We can plan for the future we can hope we can make plans for the future. We can look ahead and says, I want to do this and that in the days that lay ahead. That's right. We have that right and privilege. Even God asks us to plan. But worry about right now, not tomorrow. But here's the thing that nobody wants to hear. The Lord's not going to pour you a cup of peace, hand it to you, and tell you to drink it, and everything will be well. It's not going to happen. There's something we have to do. And this statement that's in your hand is from Brother Paul Faulkner. He gave this many years ago, and it's still true. God being my helper in a world of needy people, I resolve to will myself to be responsible, to face reality, to do what I ought to do, and like it. So we want to learn by these things this morning in another s- Next Sunday, in these two parts, what is this about calling peace of mind? And the fact is, from this we can understand and achieve it. Beginning with this, God being my helper. Why do we begin with that? Well, it's obvious. How does the Word of God begin? How does Genesis 1-1 start? In the beginning, was a big bang. No. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In verse 27, it goes on to say that God created man in his own image. Therefore, we realize and understand just as a person working at Ford, Chrysler, GM knows about that car that he is creating, whatever model it is, he knows that car, he knows the parts that are to be put in that car to make it work as it has been designed to. He knows the options that will be on this car. It's all listed. He knows what to do and he makes it right. He knows that car. Does not the God of heaven know us? Absolutely. Jeremiah was right when he reminded us of this one thing. Oh Lord, I know the way of man is not in himself. Jeremiah, you're right. (laughs) We can't do it. It's not a man who walks to direct his own steps. Jeremiah understood that it's God of heaven who created us. It is the God of heaven that knows us. That automaker makes that car out of the parts he's designated to make that car run, work, and do what it's supposed to. In the glove compartment of that car, when you buy it, Does not the salesman remind you? Here's the owner's manual. Read it. It will tell you about how to change oil. It'll tell you how to set up the radio. It'll tell you how to do this and that and the other. So that way you can get the most out of that car you've just bought. And I already said God knows us and God created us. Here's his manual. Here's his manual. And what he's trying to say unto us is, this is how I know that God knows me. And I know if I follow this manual, that it's going to lead me correctly. I know when I follow this manual, my life's going to be much better. I'm going to operate as I should, as God created me. This is my manual. Only when we trust in God will we ever achieve peace of mind that we want. As it is impossible... To please God without faith, it is impossible to achieve peace of mind without His book. Without His book. But notice the next part of that opening phrase. God being my helper. What is wrong with human beings? We expect God... To do it all. We expect God to do everything. And when something doesn't go as we think it should, whose fault is it? God's. All of our anxiety, all of our problems, we throw back in the face of God and say, It's your fault. And why somebody said, why would you say, have you people, have you heard say, Lord, I prayed and I have prayed and I have prayed. And Lord, you have never answered my prayers and things are not better. What is it that human beings fail to forget? There's a simple truth we all need to learn. God will not do for us what we are capable of doing for ourselves. Oh, people don't want to hear that one, but it's still true. God will not do for us what we are capable of doing for ourselves. Go to one prime example. Genesis chapter 6, God tells Noah to build an ark. Let me ask you something. Could God build the ark? He could have. But why did he ask Noah to build it? Or command him to build it? That way Noah would have a part in not only saving his household, but all the animals God would put on board. A sense of responsibility. God's not going to do for us what we can do for ourselves. Deuteronomy 6 in verse 24, Moses said there that everything that God requires of us is for our good always. And James makes it more blunt. In James 2 and 26, faith without works is dead. Faith without works is dead. We can, we can never expect God to give us peace of mind if we expect Him to just to give it to us and we do nothing. If that is what we're looking at, if we are expecting God to do it all for us, we are doomed to failure. We are truly doomed to failure. God will help us. God will help us. But again, He will not do for us what we are capable of doing. I believe in prayer. Joe did an excellent job Wednesday night on prayer. I believe in prayer. You believe in prayer. But prayer is not a substitute for doing. It is not a substitute for doing. We have the right to ask God to help us. Through prayer, he asks of us lay before him petitions. But we need to remind ourselves, in just still just praying for peace of mind, we need to do the things the manual tell us to do in order to have peace. God will be our helper, but there's things we must do in order to have that peace of mind. God being our helper in a world of needy people. The statement that begins, I believe it's either, I believe it's David Cofferfield, I'm not sure, the one that says, no man's an island. No man's an island. We are social creatures. God created us that way. We depend upon others for survival. We depend upon others to help us if we have our purposes in life. We call upon each other to help when we are in time of need. And when we look around ourselves every day, we all see people just like us who have problems like we do. Have problems and needs just like we do. But we need to remind ourselves in order to achieve that peace of mind that we want, we cannot hide behind the hypocrisy of Cain who asked the immortal question, Am I my brother's keeper? When God asked him where Abel was at, we are our brother's keeper and the Scripture makes that abundantly clear and plain from beginning to end. That liberty that we've been given when we become a child of God in Christ, is not a freedom from the responsibility of those who are around us. In the middle of a chapter, in the middle of a chapter, when Paul wrote on the subject of liberty, in Romans 14, he reminds us, for none of us lives to himself, and no one dies to himself. To achieve peace of mind, we're going to have to realize and understand that others have needs and that we have the ability to supply them those needs and help them as they walk their daily walk of life. We live in a world of needy people. When Jesus asked the question, when Jesus was asked the question, I should say, what is the great and first commandment? Jesus began with the fact, he says, love God. Then he added that, love your neighbor as yourself. Then a hand went up and says, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? You know the story from Luke 10, beginning with verse 30 through 37. Man going down, as it were, on his way on a trip from Jerusalem to Jericho, robbed and left half-dead. The priest passed by, the Levite passed by, then the Samaritan is the one who stopped and helped him. When he was through with that parable, Jesus asked the question, which of the three do you think was the neighbor? The answer then was obvious. Two thousand years later, the answer is still obvious. Who was the neighbor? The answer is obvious, as we said, but the thing we need to ask is this. Which of these three do you think got a peaceful night's sleep that night? That ought to be asked as well. Which one got the best sleep that evening? We cannot, as God's children, ignore the cries of those who come to us, who are hurting, who are having needs, who are having difficulties, and ask of our help, and still tell everybody we have peace of mind. It just does not go together. We need to recognize something that we at times tend to forget. We need to recognize the fact that the blessings which we have received from God, that we receive every day, makes us debtors to those around us who are less fortunate. Why Paul began his Roman letter by telling us, I am, he says, a debtor. I am a debtor. He said both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. Paul realized and understood there was a world full of needy people, and they need our help. And Paul says, I strive every day to do the best I can to help all of those that I meet that have needs. The same principle is still true with us today. God has blessed us. God has blessed us with abilities to work and to provide. Whether it's individuals or whether it's a congregation, God wants us to help those who are less fortunate. That is His purpose, that is His desire, that is His will for us. And that's the reason why He made Paul write in Galatians 6 and 10, Let us do good unto all, unto all that need our help. If we're going to have this peace that we want so badly, with God being our helper, we need to bring it into the lives of others. I resolve to will myself. Out of all of those phrases that make up that statement, this is the hardest one. This is the absolute hardest one to do. Let's look and see why it is. In order to resolve myself, it means that I have to make up my mind. I have to decide. I have to determine what I am going to do. Any sinner that comes to Christ must resolve to live differently than what he has been. Has to resolve to live differently. We call it by another word. That word is repentance. Again, that word is hard. Why is it hard? Our Savior, Luke thirteen, in two different verses, said the same thing basically. Unless you, you meaning everybody, unless you repent, you will all. Likewise perish. In other words, our Savior, in teaching the world of that day and time His principles, He's laying down the foundation for His kingdom, let it be known, unless you repent, you'll all likewise perish. That is a part of becoming a child of God. But what was said in Acts 2.38, and again a few days or weeks later, and when we go to chapter 3 and verse 19, what did it say there both times by the Apostle Peter to those that were listening? The first thing out of his mouth was to repent. To repent. Repent. Was it not Paul on Mars Hill told those uh, philosophers that day and time that one time God winked at ignorance, but now commands, not then, not ask, think about it. No, God commands all men everywhere to repent. Unless there is that resolve, unless there is within yourself that uh, decision to be made, you're never going to accomplish anything. Unless there's that resolve, nothing is going to be accomplished. Again, we go to the Scriptures. We're going to move over to Luke 15 this time. And we all know the story of the prodigal son. We all know the story that this young man wanted his his part of his father's house, so to speak. Took all of his money and left and had a good time, as we would say. waste his money on what they call riotous living till his funds run out. And when his funds run out, so did his friends. They didn't care about him no more. They didn't care about him. With his funds gone, his friends have walked away. A famine came, and it says he was reduced to begging. Finds himself, as it were, working for a hog farmer. And you know that Christ did that to let the Jews know that's about the worst thing that could happen to a young Jewish man. Find himself, as we would say, out in the country slopping hogs. But Jesus didn't stop there. He said, In that hog pen, the young man came to himself. Christ didn't mean by that the man was delirious. And all of a sudden got his senses back. That's not what he's talking about. In that hog pen, that young man had the opportunity to think. And in that process of thinking, he realized where at one time he had been, at home. He also no doubt remembered for a few moments he had some good times. They're gone. He came to himself and resolved when he said this, I will arise. There's his resolve. I will arise and go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your hired servants. And he arose and came To his father. There is the resolve. How he went back home, we're never told. We're never told that if he walked, or someone let him borrow a donkey along the way, or rode with a cart with someone, we're never told how he got back home. We're not told how long the trips were, and how long it took him. We don't know if he slept in a bed, or in a ditch as the stars with his cover. We do not know. But there is one thing we do know. He got the most peaceful night of sleep he'd ever had in his life. Because he had resolved to go home. Resolved to go home. You see, it is this that causes the problem. It is one thing to resolve. It is another thing to carry out what you resolve to do. Here is where our will comes in. I say, this is where self comes in. If I am to have peace of mind, I can't do anything that I want and everything I want. I must make myself do things that are not pleasant in order to get that peace of mind that I want. Paul writing to his brethren at Corinth, in the midst of all the problems this congregation had that he writes about, he stops and says this, and 1 Corinthians 9:27 is a lesson that maybe they would heed. I discipline my body and bring it into subjection. What was Paul saying? I have resolved to follow Christ. And in that resolve I am doing what I have to do in order for that to be a reality. Not only have I resolved, I have made myself do the things necessary to carry out that which I want to do. And as follow my Savior. And that's what we have to do. You can resolve all day to stop doing something. And we can use, for example, something that's understandable. How many people do you know that says, one of these days I'm going to quit drinking? <laughs> that's their resolve. And it may sound silly, but that's what they want to do. They really, deep down in here, is simply saying the words, I want to stop doing this. But what is stopping them from stopping doing that is simple. The resolve is there. They haven't got ready to make themselves do it. There's the difference. The resolve in that statement here represents the fact there must be actions. In order to quit doing something that we know is wrong, in order to quit doing something we know is harmful, we're going to have to want to do it and carry it out. If not, we will never achieve peace of mind. It will never happen. And you shouldn't as long as you refuse to carry out that resolve. That's what a conscience is for. And that is, the fact is, not until we will ourselves to a course of action that we know is right, we'll never achieve peace of mind. We're about to sing an old invitation song that we've heard for years. The first words of that song are very simple. I resolve no longer to linger. Not only have I talked about becoming a child of God, that song says I've made up my mind and I'm going forward with it. I'm going to do what's necessary to become a child of God. I have always said, and it's still true, everything's ready. It's simply waiting for you to take the resolve and move yourself toward becoming a child of God. Come repenting the way you've been living. That hard thing to do. That willing to give up that past life. Walk away from it. I resolve no longer to linger. This morning become a child of His. This is your day. Your time. But this morning if you're a child of God who strayed from the truth. This morning that song saying to you the same thing. I resolve no longer to linger. To keep living in that pathway of sin I've gone back to. We talked about earlier in our class. Here is resolved, no longer to linger, no longer living that way. He wanted to come back home. That father still in the road. That father still looking for you to come. While together we stand and while we sing.